Hey, hey, y'all. This week's blog post is called The Crown Act and How We Should Act. Written by yours truly, Dr. Donna Oriolo, for September 11th, 2019. Warning, content on the audio blog may be different from the written blog. My thoughts too fast and my mouth too quick. Sorry, not sorry. Please note that the information found on this and other blog posts is a matter of researched opinion. Direct your concerns or questions to questions at anodright.com. Direct your comments to the comment section and share on social media using the hashtag anodrightspeaks. Here we go, y'all. So tell me, when you have had to get ready for a job interview, how many times have you gone to the hair salon the day before? for a quick blowout, or spent all night trying to flat iron your hair so that it could look professional as possible. No need to be ashamed. I'm sure we have all done it at some point. As much as the natural hair community has grown, one space that acceptance of natural hair is still lacking is in the workplace. Black women's natural hair is still looked at as unkempt and unprofessional, and it is not uncommon for Black folk with locks or kinky twists to be told they need to choose a new style because it doesn't represent the company. Hell, if you Google unprofessional hairstyles, nothing but pictures of Black women appear in the results. So I was definitely pleased when the Crown Act was passed. A low background. For those of you who don't know, the Crown Act is also known as Creating a Respectful and Open Workplace for Natural Hair Act. What I love about this act is the local governments are actually taking steps to make sure there is inclusion, pride, and choice in the workplace. They're making sure, well, trying, black folk, that Black folks can remain Black folk even in places of business. With the help of the Crown Act, my hope is that we can change the rhetoric that Black hair is not professional. California signed it first with Senator Holly Mitchell at the helm. And then it went on over to New York, where they signed their own version into law. I've heard that New Jersey might be next, but me personally, I'm waiting for the DMV, specifically Maryland, since that's where I live, to sign this thing into act. The district and Virginia also need to adopt it as well and need to do so ASAP because some of the businesses and schools in this area definitely seem to have a problem, even though they don't want to admit it. Regardless of who signs it next, what I like about the Crown Act is that we're putting a ban on natural hair discrimination, which means that businesses and schools are going to be required to take a second, third, and fourth look at their racist policies to make sure they're being a bit more inclusive and a little less overly racist. Because we all know that usually when someone says you don't look professional, what they really mean to say is that you don't look white enough and it makes me uncomfortable. The true beneficiaries. While everyone with some melanin in them should be happy as I am, this type of law is really going to impact the darkest and the kinkiest of us. We're the ones that will truly benefit the most. Now, I know some of y'all are like, why is she even up bringing up this skin tone? The Crown Act is really about the crown, your hair. However, one thing I know for sure is that as someone who has studied and done the research around colorism and texturism, who sees it every day in the therapy office, is that they are very inextricably linked. 
and when I say they're linked, I mean they're linked to white supremacist beauty. When a woman is dark-skinned with good hair, she gets treated better than somebody with the same dark skin but with a kinkier hair texture. When there's light-skinned women with kinkier textures, they get treated better than someone who would look like me. And they get treated because their skin tone seems to save them from undesirable hair texture. It's as if 4C hair texture somehow looks better on them simply because they are lighter. And I'm not for that. While some of us will reap the benefits more than others, what I don't want for us to do is get complacent just because this law may be making its way around the country. I feel like I can see it now. Somebody, somewhere, is going to talk about how we are in a post-colorism, post-texturism world. The same way some of these fools were out here talking that nonsense about the country being post-racial because we had Obama. And I'm going to need y'all to get it together because we are not. As long as racism remains, so too will colorism and texturism. We still have work to do. No law is going to take away the experiences many Black girls, Black women, Black mothers, and Black children have already lived around walking with, with regard to their hair texture and skin tone. While the Crown Act makes it law, we need other things in place that will make it practice. This need for practice is why I do the work that I do. I'll be doing a training at the Diversity and Parenting Conference on Friday, September 13, 2019, that addresses how parents talk to talk about hair texture to their kids and how it can they can be more intentional with this work. While many of you may feel that this isn't necessarily an important conversation, it truly is. Think about all the things that get passed down from one generation to the next, things that our children are presently learning and taking in. Think about it. Great-grandma was told she was nappy, unkempt, and that she couldn't go out the house looking like that. She told her daughter that. She, she told her daughter that she got to fry, dye, and lay her hair to the side just to make sure that she could walk out the house and be considered acceptable, never beautiful. And mom, while she's trying to break that curse and not pass it to her child, she hasn't worked out what her problems are or adjust her own narratives. Oftentimes, we think these comments that don't really matter, so we, we think that we've let them go, forgetting about how much they've hurt us. In reality, we live our hurts and hurt others based on what has gone unnamed and thus unresolved. We forget that how we value others, their hair texture, their skin tone, and how it presents in public, if it is acceptable to us, is still based in the same white supremacist rhetoric we received when we were young. Do you remember Easter services as a child? The night before when your mama or your auntie or somebody would blow out your hair or permed it or, and put it into a cute style that was acceptable for church? What about when picture day rolled around and they broke out that same hot comb and flat iron and told you to sit down and sit down after it was done so you don't mess up all that good work? What about constantly, constantly being told how tough and thick your hair is and how hard and difficult it is to manage? This is rhetoric that gets ingrained in us. This is rhetoric that hurts us. And these are the thoughts that we hear when we think about our hair as grown adults. Without hesitation, we repeat the same narrative to ourselves and others about how our hair texture just isn't manageable and how hard it is to maintain. 
after two hours in and only half a head done, we have these fantasies about going back to the creamy crack because we know how to deal with straight hair. But baby girl, that's only because we weren't taught. You weren't taught from a young age what kinky hair is, and you weren't taught how to manage it, and damn sure that you should be proud of it. So instead of positive thoughts about our hair and really knowing how to manage it as it is, we continue with this same tired rhetoric of how our hair is just not good hair and wonder how six-year-olds pick it up when the truth is we gave it to them. We gave them what grandma gave us and somebody gave to grandma and so forth. Now, does having work to do mean that white folk and some of their prejudiced butts, especially in this not Trump Nazi era, are absolved? No, they are not absolved. The work they have to do is incontrovertible. Ah, my, my Harry Potter vocab, y'all. Anyway, they are first in line to combating racist rhetoric, which also helps to push back colorism and texturism-based rhetoric because they're all together in this. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. They may have built the house of white supremacy, but we have been doing a hell of a job of maintaining it. The Crown Act is one step. It gives a voice. The work we have to do on ourselves, we will be the one that gives it teeth. That's our work. Because as long as Black folk continue to recognize the microaggressions that others are receiving around their hair, but do nothing about it, or worse, give that so-called advice about changing up just a little to make sure that white others are comfortable and see you as being professional, the Crown Act won't have any impact. We cannot continue to say that Black women's natural hair is unkempt in a hot mess and pushing our own internalized white supremacist beauty standards on our sisters because of our own lack of comfort and because we have yet to address our own narratives and do our own work. Don't let the Crown Act make your ass complacent. Make sure that you continue to do the work. The Crown Act makes hair inclusivity law, but resources like cocoa butter and hair grease make it practice. And some of y'all know that we really do need that practice. All right, y'all, that's it for this week. Please do comment below. I'm definitely wanting to have a whole dialogue about this. If you are one of those lucky people located in California or New York, tell us what's going on in your spaces of business around the Crown Act. And if you're not, do you want to see the Crown Act come? And what are you doing right here, right now to make it practice? All right, y'all. I'm out. Peace.